Colossians chapter 4, if you have it, say amen. And it reads, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, he sends to you, he sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. And they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Father, have your way one more time. Remove me, place your Holy Spirit behind this pulpit. Let he that has an ear, let him hear. I give you all the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. And we all said, before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them you are on God's dream team. Then you may be seated. If you were here last week, I started a message, a series called The Word Series. Now, if you know anything about myself, I'm a diehard Giants fan. If you were here last week, I came in the whole getup. I know maybe some of you are probably expecting that again, like, oh, man, how's it going? Oh, I, just, I just got my jacket. It's good enough right here. So, I call this my Giants jacket, you know, just rocking it as it is. And, you know, the, lately the, we've been in the World Series, and so I actually had another message that I was going to be uh, speaking on last week, but I said, no, you know what, I'm going to take advantage of this, and we're going to get into the Word Series, because I believe that right now is the perfect time. It's on our mind. We're going somewhere, and it's relevant to the uh, cultural time, of, especially of where we're at. Now, I also, I didn't say this last week, but I will say this. If the A's ever get into the World Series... I'll do a, a message series just for the A's. Now, it's going to be hard for me to wear green and yellow, but I'll try. But if you get to the World Series, you earned it, so I, I could do that. Now, if the Raiders ever make the Super Bowl, I don't know about all that. That's a, another, it's a whole other story, but I don't have to worry about that. My son's sons will have to worry about that because they're... That's cold, huh? Some of you guys didn't even catch that. Like, what? what that? Here in this World Series and in this Word Series of where we're at, last week we opened it up and we talked about God's dream team. In other words, God has a position on the team just for you. Now, when you realize and understand the position that God has for you, then you'll be able to exercise your gift in a proper way. In other words, a lot of times, we, especially when we, we're newcomers, we come to church and we see the pastor, we see the man behind the pulpit, and we go, man, I want to do that. Well, I want you to know, maybe you're supposed to, maybe you're not. Maybe this is what God has called you to do, maybe it's not. I don't know. 
But as you learn within your study of Christ, as you learn within your study of Scripture, you will find that every member of the body has a position. Now, the root word of position is post. In other words, you got to get at your post. And wherever your post is, stick there. Don't move. If that's where you're supposed to be, you stick there through thick and thin, through hell or high water. You stick there. You don't move. That's your post. That's what you're supposed to do. Because a lot of times we look at other people and go, well, I, if I was doing that, then everybody would see me. Well, if I was doing that, then everybody would appreciate me. If I was over there, no. What is your post? You get there and you stick there. That's what makes a great team great. That's the difference when certain people understand, well, if I'm supposed to be pitching, well, then pitch. If I'm supposed to be batting, well, then bat. If I'm supposed to be fielding, then field. If I'm supposed to be coaching, whatever it's supposed to be. But whatever it is, get it, grab a hold of it, and stick there. Tell your neighbor, stick there. Now, when you realize it and you understand it, then what's going to happen is you are going to benefit the team like never before. You are going to benefit the team like never before. In just a little bit, we're going to be praying for all the team members that are going to be going to the Philippines. Come on, somebody. That's going to be awesome right now. We have a team of about, I think, 10 people or 9 people that are going to the Philippines. And at the end of this message, we're going to be praying for them all. Because uh, we have 10 from our church. But I think we have a total of about 45 people leaving for the Philippines going from here. Uh, from California, and even outside, we have some people going from Seattle. Uh, they're coming from Anaheim, Los Angeles, Sacramento, uh, Vallejo. They're coming from all over, and we're going to be going out there. We have a big crusade. It's going to be awesome. But we have 10 people from our church that we're going to be praying for in just a little bit. We're, it's the VO Heart Dream Team. Come on, somebody. And we're going to be going out there, having a great time. It's going to be powerful. But when you realize your position on the team, then your team can succeed. See, it's far too often when we think, well, I'm going to come, I'm going to be a part, and as long as I'm just here, then someone else is going to do the job. No, you have a job to do. No matter how minimal you think it is, you have a gifting. See, a lot of people, a lot of times they think, oh, okay, well, if I don't do it, someone else is going to do it. That's actually not the case whatsoever. If God gave you the gift to do it, you should do it. No matter how well I just got saved, I don't know that much, I don't have that much. Uh, even the other day, we were, uh, I think we were at the picnic, and when we were at the picnic, everybody started eating. And when everybody started eating, you started hearing a lot of people going, oh, oh, mmm. And you're like, wait, what's, what's going on here? What's taking place? Oh, this food, it's holy, it's great, it's awesome. So, well, who cooked it? They said, well, Otis cooked it. I said, well, my God. That boy's got anointed hands, and his hands will anoint your stomach. Apparently, somebody wants that food right now. Whatever you're supposed to do, don't ever minimize, well, I can just cook. That's not, you know, I'm not a preacher. No, you're preaching with the food. You're preaching with a handshake. You could just be standing out there greeting people, and you're just, you're, you are blessing people with your smile. It's when you realize what you're supposed to be doing and you get at your post and say, listen, commander-in-chief, coach, manager, whatever it is, this is my post. I'm right here. Everyone else, I don't know what they're doing, but my post is to be right here. And when you understand that, you're going to see success. You're going to see moving forward within the team. When you understand your position and you get in your position, my friend, I'm telling you, this church is going to grow like never before. It's going to grow spiritually. It's going to grow healthy. It's going to grow numerically. 
when we are in the right position. Can I hear an amen? Last week, just really briefly, we talked about Tychicus, and the word for Tychicus was cutting edge. In other words, if you're going to bat first on God's dream team, you got to be cutting edge. Now, listen to me. This is not for everybody, but for those of you that are cutting edge people, you got to always sharpen your axe. you got to keep your edge sharp. In other words, don't think of what happened 10 years ago is going to apply to the cutting edge of today. It has to change. Keep your edge sharp. And Tychicus was that kind of guy. He was there, and he was ready to make things happen. The second person we talked about was Onesimus. And Onesimus, if you're going to bat second on God's dream team, is a very strategic person, is that you have to be able to sacrifice. Somebody say sacrifice. And that's what happened with Onesimus. And if you're here, especially when you just heard it just a little while ago, when it came to uh, a pledges, assembly for the heart. Now, for some of you, like $25, I'm barely making it. Uh, one thing I've learned without going into a big study right now, if you will give God what he is rightfully his and you become a good steward of what God has given you, he will bless the rest of it. He's going to bless it. And you have to understand, uh, without um, fully going into it, uh, I think the other day, well, he hasn't spoken on it yet, but I've been listening to it, this one message, uh, different messages from John Bevere and also from uh, uh, Shane Willard. And they were actually kind of talking about the same thing when it came to the blessings of the tithe. And it came to the blessings of giving. And it came to the blessings of generosity. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love to give God my 10% so he can bless the 90 rather than having 100% all cursed. Now, for some of you, that might be a sacrifice. Like, whoa, 10%. Well, like, whoa, I make $1,000. I can use $100. Well, that's fine. Keep the $100 if that's where your heart is. That's perfectly fine. However, if you say, you know what? No, I need to step out in faith, and that's what learning what sacrifice is. Now, for me, 10% is no longer a sacrifice. When I first did it, yeah, it was a huge sacrifice. Like, wait, man, I only make this much money. I can't be giving all this up. This is, this is huge for me. So, but now, if you were to ask me about that, hey, would you give that? Like, come on, I've already matured out of that level. Of course, that's not a problem. That's nothing. But there are certain levels where you say, hey, can you give this? I go, wow, that's, that's a sacrifice. But I can do it. And I've learned that God's fire, God's power will fall on sacrifice. And Onesimus understood this. And the third person we talked about was Aristarchus. And Aristarchus was a fellow prisoner. In other words, he was shackled to the apostle Paul. And he was right there with him. Now, the fourth person, if you're going to bat forth on God's dream team, we look here, the Bible says that there was Mark. For the sake of Bible, we're going to call him Mark McGuire. That's for all you A's fans, okay? So you can't say, he didn't talk about the A's. There it is, Mark McGuire. Now, Mark did steroids. No, I'm just kidding. I, I was just, I was like, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. That is a fact, by the way, just in case you didn't know that. That is true. I didn't make it up. It's, it's true. Ask Jose Canseco. He'll tell you. That's cold, huh? Am I opening up wounds right now for some A's fans? Uh, you got to forgive me. Amen. You have to. That's what the Bible says. You got to forgive me. What's crazy about it, in the terminology of baseball and Bible, the Bible says that Mark was sent to the minors. That's what happened with him. In other words, in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas, they were talking about him, and then all of a sudden Mark was like, yeah, I want to go with you, but like that's a little bit too much. So 
he went and he left and he didn't go to the hills to go preach with Paul and Barnabas. So what happened was Paul and Barnabas had a dispute over Mark in the book of Acts. Now, however, even though Mark separated himself and he said, look, I, I can't go. You guys are going out there. That's a little bit too, too crazy. What I like about this is that Paul says, no, I still need a guy like Mark. Separate, bring me Mark because uh, I need somebody like him. Separate me, Mark, for he is profitable to the ministry. Now, if you're going to bat forth on God's dream team, in a fourth, what they call in baseball, they call that the cleanup spot. And if you're going to bat forth, you have to be able to clean up what has been messed up. Are you hearing me? If you're going to bat forth, you got to clean up what has been messed up. Now, the thing about batting forth is that when you clean it up, you don't continue to mess it up. How is that possible? Possible. What are you saying, Pastor? In other words, this. You're going to come up and you're going to see a lot of people's dirt. You don't spread it around. When you see a lot of other people's issues, because when you come and all of a sudden God has you coming from the backside, you're not coming from the front, you weren't there making it happen, but you were there cleaning it up, you're going to see a lot of people's dirt when you come from behind. You're going to see a lot of people's issues when you come from behind. And what's going to happen is you're going to right away want to say, ooh, I got to tell somebody what I just heard. Because that's going to want to happen. You're going to hear about some dirty juice, some, some tidbits of, ooh, oh, man, if people only knew. Oh, man. But Mark, what I like about it is that Paul understood because he was close with Paul. But Mark said, oh, okay, I, maybe it could have been, I don't know. Maybe he found out a lot of stuff about Paul, and he said, man, I, I just can't deal with this right now. So he left. However, when he left, Paul still said, Mark is profitable for me in the ministry. See, God, uh, excuse me, Paul understood that God was a God of a second chance. God is a God of a second chance. I'm going to say that one more time. God is a God of a second chance. Listen to me. For those of you that are here, and maybe you're a leader, and you see this person, and you're like, wow, they left me. They're not around anymore. Listen, Mark was a perfect prime example of where Paul said, listen, I know they were close at one time, but all of a sudden they got separated. But listen, that person is still profitable for the ministry. There's still a calling upon his life. There's still a calling upon her life. I know that they can be used on God's dream team. Listen, and now listen to me. Now, for those of you that you might have left, say, well, I, I can't do anything anymore. I, I departed. I I've had my own issues, and I can't get involved with that. That's not me. God is a God of a second chance. God is a God of a third chance, of a fourth chance of a 490th chance per day God that's who he is and Mark was a prime example that he can give anybody a shot on his team don't ever think that well at one time I was there and I was batting and I was a part and I was in the full-time ministry I was the cutting-edge guy I was making it happen I was doing all this but but now I'm no good anymore they were out there all preaching and doing all that stuff I, I don't preach anymore and Paul said, no, 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 give me Mark. Matter of fact, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark. Mark was one of the ones that wrote the Gospels. Now, very easily, who would have known? Maybe he would have been left in the hills, and we'd never have a, a Matthew, Mark. 
we would just have Matthew, Luke, John. But Paul, for some reason, knew, no, 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 this guy's going to do some great things. This guy's going to do some powerful things. Separate me, Mark, because this guy has got the goods. Listen to me. For those of you, maybe at one time within your life, you were maybe separated from God. You were separated from, you know, the calling of God upon your life. Even some of you, your parents brought you to church at a young age. You came when you were eight years old, nine years old, and your parents said, we're going to church. I don't even care if it was Catholic church. They were just taking you to church. And you were understanding what it was. You were having an understanding, a perspective of who God was. But at some time within your life, you veered away. You went away. Maybe you peer pressure. Maybe drug addiction. I don't know what it was that took you away. But something separated you. And all of a sudden, you would come back to Christ. And you go, wow, look at him. He's preaching. Look at her. She's preaching. They're doing all that. I can't do that. Mark is the perfect example where God says no I've been putting something inside of you since you were a young lad since you were in ministry since you were in church when you were a youngster and I've been putting it inside of you and you've got profitable stuff inside of you and you can steal that forth on my team don't ever think that God has let you go you are never too far to where God's arm can't reach you never too far God knows exactly where you're at. God knows exactly what you're going through. Paul understood that. Paul said, I got Tychicus. I got Onesimus. I got Aristarchus. But I also got a guy named Mark. I'm pretty sure when he wrote that, people went, wait, where did Mark come from? He he was way off in the hills. He was, wait wait a second. He, He wasn't even supposed to be there. All of a sudden, they read a guy like that, Mark. They said, wow, if Mark can do it, I can do it. If Mark can go through it, then I can go through it. See, that's why many times, listen to me, guys in the home, that's why we always say, how many went through the home? Because we want you to see if they can do it, you can do it. If they can make it through, you saw it up here right now, Brother Gilbert, he went through the home. I guess he wanted to leave like 20 times. He told me, he goes, I was ready to leave. I was get out of here. I'm gone. But he stood here. Now look it. He's here and he's making an assembly for the hearts. Separate me, Gilbert, for it's profitable for the ministry. Separate me, Ismail. Separate me, Elias, AJ. Separate me, Dana, because I need her in Pretoria, South Africa. Separate me, Melanie. Separate me, Paul. Separate me, Manny. I need these guys. They're profitable for the ministry. Separate me, Erica, Momi. I I need them. Uh, They got the goods. It's inside of them. And I need them on my team. Batting fifth. Batting fifth, Jesus, who is called justice. Now, right away, you look at this and you go, well, there was more than one Jesus. Actually, when you study history, there was a lot of Jesuses. There was a ton of them. But this one in particular, Jesus, who was called justice. Now, when I was growing up, I was kind of, I I really... I was a small school, so I couldn't necessarily say I was a jock, but I was involved with sports. It was a small school. Everybody was the same. Everybody was, it was the same class. My graduating class had 60 people. It was really small. Didn't have a very big class. The whole school, I think we had like maybe 300 people. It wasn't very big, maybe 400. And so... But I played a lot of sports, and in playing a lot of sports, you're very active, very healthy, working out a lot. So you're working out with the same guys. You go to the gym. You do different things. And so also sometimes you kind of hang out with those guys as well during, you know, lunch break or whatever it might be. And so I remember being there a lot of times, 
and we'd be hanging out, we'd be talking, talking about today's game. Okay, we're going to do this, we're going to go there. But a lot of times, I would see that one guy or that one girl that nobody ever ate lunch with. Nobody ate lunch with them. Now, why? There's various reasons. Maybe that could have been, you know, some of you just ate by yourself, what it could have been. Nobody really paid attention because for whatever reason. Maybe didn't get along, not very social, uh, whatever it could have been. Now, in Jesus' justice, imagine, if you will, a guy named Jesus being called the Messiah. Because now you have to remember, without going into a whole long, you know, Hebrew breakdown, Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, they were looking for a Messiah. And so what they would do is they would say, oh, whenever a, 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 a woman, a Hebrew woman would have a son, they say, oh, man, this could maybe be the Messiah. So I'm going to name them Obama. I'm just kidding. They wouldn't name Obama. But it was very similar to that. Oh, they could be the next president of the United States. They could be the next Messiah. They could be the next Savior. I'm going to name them Yeshua, Jesus. I'm going to name them the Messiah. So that's what they would do. But the thing is, as they grew up and they started doing kids' things, you go, well, maybe they're not the Messiah. They weren't all that they were cracked up to be. I thought they were going to be the president, but maybe they'll be the president of the, the weirdo club. I don't know. You know, Just not it. Jesus, who was called Justice, as he grew up, maybe could have been, his mom thought, he's going to be the Messiah. As things started happening within his life, they go, well, you ain't the Messiah. And people, the thing is, they start telling you that. And so you start having an identity crisis. You ain't all that good. I'm not all that good. What's wrong with you? Something's wrong with me. Man, you're all messed up. I'm all messed up. And that's what happens. You start having an identity crisis. The Bible says that Jesus, who was called justice, didn't have an identity crisis. He knew exactly who he was. You're all messed up. Call me what you want, but I'm still on God's dream team. You don't know what you're talking about. Fine, you can say whatever you want. I know what God has called me to do. See, if you're going to bat fifth on God's dream team, you have to understand, you need to know, this is the word, identity in Christ. You need to know that your identity is in Jesus Christ. It's not in material things. Listen to me, especially ladies. Listen to me, ladies. Your identity is not in your shoes. Now, I know it's a little humorous, I'm like, Haha, but at the same time, it's serious. It's a serious thing. Now, I also say this for the guys, too, because I don't know what the heck's happening with these guys. I got all these shoes. Like, dude, chill out with your shoes, bro. All of a sudden, it's become like, okay, to, you know, all right, whatever. I'm not going to get into that. But I'm saying that because, listen, your identity, not so much the shoes, your identity is not in material things. Far too often, we feel good if we look good. Now, listen, that's a part of the emotion. That's a part of who you are. Sometimes when you buy that brand new dress, you're like, hey, I feel so good. I can't wait to show it off. However, if your identity stays in those clothes, those clothes will get holes in it. And if you get holes in the clothes, that means you're getting holes in your identity. But my everything is, I got to wear these shoes. I have to have these earrings. I have to have this. I have to have, I, if I don't have this, then I'm not going to be popular. They're not going to accept me. Because maybe that's what was told to you as you were growing up. Jesus, justice, he said, eh, don't care what I don't have or do have. Not that big a deal. I'm not here to fight a battle with my clothes. 
I'm not here to fight a battle with my identity of who people think I am. I know who I am in Christ. Jesus, who is called justice, knew exactly who he was. Listen to me. For those of you that are here in the church, you need to know who you are in Christ. Don't take your identity, and this is very important, don't take your identity by what your parents told you you weren't. You're no good. You'll never be nothing. You're never going to make it. What's wrong with you? You're an idiot. You're a stupid. You're a fool. And so you grow up thinking, I'm a fool. I'm dumb. I'm an idiot. Now, at the same time, you kind of think, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. But in the subconscious of your mind, when you hear those words, you're like, man, that's me. I'm a dummy. I'm an idiot. Jesus could have very easily had that identity. You ain't the Messiah. You're all messed up. You're jacked up. Yeah, I'm, I'm jacked up. I'm all messed up. I can never do nothing. But Jesus, who was called justice, said, no, 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 no. I know I may look a little bit different. I know I don't dress like everybody else. I don't look like everybody else. I don't talk like everybody else. But there's one thing that I do know. I know my identity in Christ. And Jesus, who was called justice, understood that. And so when Paul was getting his team together, and when Paul was getting his men together, he said, man, I need a guy who can go into any place, go into any identity where people are having a misunderstanding, and he can go in there and not be absorbed into that culture. I need a guy who can go into any culture, go into any place, and they will not take his identity away. He knows exactly who he is in Christ. Christ is his Savior. Christ is his Lord. And nothing can take that away. Jesus, who was called justice, had his identity in Jesus Christ. Your identity, listen to me, your identity is not in cars. Don't let clothes give you identity. Don't let money give you identity. Because money comes and money goes. Don't let a class Give you your identity. Let God be the center of who you are. Jesus, who was called justice, understood this, and he didn't have an identity crisis. We, in Victory Outreach, Heart of the Bay, need people who know who they are in Christ Jesus, that the world will not persuade them. The world will not pressure them. The world cannot take away what God has given them. Come on, if you believe that, give the Lord a hand of praise. Know who you are. In Christ Jesus, batting sixth, Epaphras, Epaphras. The Bible says that he was a man of prayer. He was a prayer warrior. That's the word for Epaphras. He was a prayer warrior. Listen to me. Prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer moves the hand of God. Now listen to me. This is very important because the Bible in this particular scripture, in this context, puts together prayer and a hard worker. The Bible says that Epaphras was a diligent man. He was a hard worker. The Bible actually uses the word mature. He was a mature man. And he understood what his position was to be a prayer warrior. Listen to me. Now, th this is very important to me if you're a life group leader. If you're a life group leader, you should be looking at all these people and say, I need people like this on my team. I need a Tychicus. I need this. Are you understand what I'm saying? Listen to me, life group leaders. Very important. You know what you need on your team? You need an Epaphras. You need a person that is a prayer warrior. You will never see them behind the pulpit, but you will always see them on their knees. A prayer warrior. Somebody that just gets in there, and they're willing to work hard. 
Bible says that he was mature in who he was. Prayer will mature you for situations that you think you're not even ready for. I have found myself inside of situations where I have looked and even people have told me, they said, man, how did you know that? And I'll be honest, I'll be like, I have no idea. I don't don't know. I just, it's just what happened. But I know within my heart, it's because of prayer. I love to pray. The Bible says pray without ceasing. I like what, uh, I think, I believe it was Winston Churchill that said, I never pray longer than five minutes. However, I never go longer than three minutes without praying. I said, ooh, it's heavy. That's a heavy statement right there. Prayer without ceasing. The Bible says that Epaphras was a mature man. Listen to me. Some of you right now, you're going through some situations and you're wondering, why am I going through this? You know why? Because it's maturing you. It's making you see things in a different way and have a different perspective. Some of you, you might be going through something right now and you're wondering, man, I went through this last year. Well, your perspective never changed. You still want to hit that guy. You still want to hit that girl. You still want to tell her off. Well, I I told off that girl last year. I'm going to tell her off again. Well, there you go. It has not changed. If you're going to bat sixth on God's dream team, there must be a maturity about you. You have to allow God. You're going to go through trials. That's what the Bible says. That's not if. It's just a matter of when. But if you get these trials, now this is the one, one of the most maturing scriptures in all of the Bible. The Bible says, consider it pure joy when you go through trials of many kinds. Now, let's be honest. How many love trials? Nobody. You don't have to raise your hand. Don't lie. Nobody likes trials. However, the trials, one of the things that it does, along with perseverance and other things, it says it will develop character. Character has to, has to do with the maturity process within your life. So some of the situations that you're going through even right now, say, why am I going through this? Why am I feeling like this? Why is this happening again? Maybe very well it could be it's a maturing process for you. And what does mature or what does trials always do? It always drives you to your knees. Epaphras, it didn't say a whole lot about him, what he went through, but guys like that, if I hear words like that, that, wow, he was a hard worker, he's mature, I want a guy like that. This guy's willing to work hard. He's not lazy. I want a guy like that. I like what Jim Lyons said. He said, tomorrow is the only day of the year that, he, that appeals to the lazy man. Eh, tomorrow. Eh, mañana. I'll deal with it tomorrow. I remember uh, Pastor Sonny, he said, you know, he was from New York. And he said one of the first words that he, that he learned that he hated was mañana. He said, I came over here and all these Mexicans, they always say mañana. Mañana. And he said that bothered him. He'd be like, you know, he's Puerto Rican, he's Italian, he's from New York, you know, everything real fast. All right, hey, let's go, let's go, hey, let's go, let's go. You know, they're just real fast, real fast, real fast. You know, Puerto Ricans are real fast. I don't know what it is with Puerto Ricans, man. I might be Puerto Rican right now because I'm just talking real fast, real fast, real fast. They just do the, come on, real fast. And he said when he, got to, when he got to the West Coast, when he got to Los Angeles, he's like, okay, let's do this. All right, we're going to do it. We'll do it, Mayana. Tomorrow is the only day that appeals to the lazy man. Listen, some of you right now, you you need to understand that today, God is working on you today. Not tomorrow, today. See, because some of you, a lot of times, and this, I don't know if it happens to you, I'll just say it for me. There's a lot of times where the spirit quickens me. And it quickens me and says, pray. 
And there's been many times where I go, eh, I didn't, and I, and I just kept driving or whatever it might have been. But then there's a lot of times, the majority of time, I need to have a better batting average. There's a lot of times where the Spirit quickens me and says, hey, go talk to that guy. I'll go talk to him. Because a lot of, if not, I'm going to be a lazy person. It's a lazy gift. I'm going to let my gift just go to the wayside. Eh, that's okay. Somebody else will do it. Somebody else will pray for them. Somebody else will take care of them. And we do that a lot of times. We go, oh, she's going through it. Somebody should go pray for her. Guess who that somebody is? You. And see, that's what happens. That's why a lot of times we think, oh, the, the, the church should go do it. Well, guess what? You're the church. You go do it. Epaphras understood that. And he said, listen, I'm willing to get dirty on my knees and dirty with my hands. He worked hard for the Lord. And he understood that. Here, batting seventh, I'm going to move quickly right here. Batting seventh, Luke. Luke. The Bible says that Luke was a doctor. He was a utility man. If you're going to bat seventh on God's dream team, you have to be a utility man. The thing about a utility man in batting seventh is that you cannot get mad just because you have the ability to bat first. Are you hearing me? Because a lot of times the guy who bats seventh has the ability to be a leadoff guy. He has the know-how to bat first. Now, the other day I was uh, watching an interview from a man, uh, and uh, it really got to me. I really liked his perspective on things. And he really gave, without going into a whole long uh, big thing, I, I forget his name. I want to say he was a doctor. Um, very insightful, Dr. Ben Carson, that was his name, Dr. Ben Carson. And he's a neurosurgeon and very smart man, very intellectual. And I like to watch certain interviews of certain guys on different things. And he was being interviewed on CNN, and I'll never forget this. They were interviewing him on CNN, and they asked him. They were asking him a bunch of questions, very calm, very composed the whole time. Then they brought on another person, and this other person started ripping at him. I mean, what you, and some of it had to do with God. A lot of it had to do with politics. And why would you do that? I mean, I mean, just going off on him, almost sounding like they were ready to cuss at him. I mean, just going off. You ever seen the split screens when they have the, the anchor man, then they have this person and then that person? Well, that's what it was. There was three people on the screen, and they were just ripping into him, ripping into him, ripping into him. And I'm looking, I'm like, dude, say something. Right, and this one guy's going off, and how do you think with this? And see, if you want to do this policy and that policy, will mess up. And he was just calm. He was like this the whole time. He has glasses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my, dude, say something. And then the the anchor man, you know, he, he chimed in. He said, okay, okay, let, you know, Dr. Ben Carson, would you like to say something? You know, he said something, said something, said something. After that. They brought him back on. And the first question that the, uh, the uh, uh, interviewer asked him said, I just got to know this. He said, how can you be so calm when somebody is just messing with you and you know that they're trying to get under your skin? How could you be so calm? This is what he said. Never forget this. He goes, well, maybe it's from my background in being a neurosurgeon. Because when you are operating on somebody's brain, you need to be very composed and very quiet. The problem is, is that most people think when they're making an argument, they're ready to hit with their fist. I already know that they're ready to talk with their mind. 
So I must be as composed as I am with my hands and composed as I am with my lips. I'm very calm. And when I heard that, I was like, dude, you just got my vote. I don't even know if you're running anything, but like, dude, that was awesome. That's like, wow, because that's very true. Because how, how many times has somebody ripped into you and you're like, man, I'm going to rip you back. Don't you ever talk about me? Don't you say that? What would you say about my mama? I know you didn't even say anything about my mama, but I think it was in your head that you were talking about my mama. I'm going to rip you right now. And this guy was just calm, just cool. This guy, Luke, could have easily, as a doctor, as a physician, physicians are very smart. Physicians have to know detail. Matter of fact, when you read the book of Luke, he's a very detailed man. He says things that the other guys didn't say. And so when you do that and you understand that, you could easily say, oh, man, this guy's great. This guy's smart. Why don't you bet first? No, no, no. I'll be right here. I'll do whatever needs to be done. You need me over here? I'll be over here. You need me over there? I'll be over there. You need me in the front? I could be in the front. You need me in the back? I'll be in the back. Wherever you need me, I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do. As a utility man, as a utility person, you got to be able to do whatever God has called you to do. Can I hear an amen? The last person was Demas. Demas. Now, Demas, the Bible said, had forsaken having loved this present world. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse, uh, 2, Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10. It says that demons had forsaken me having loved this present world. Now the thing about it is that when it comes to batting eighth on God's team, right away you think I'm at the bottom of the barrel, I can't be used. Demas was a perfect example that God can use anybody at any time. I need Demas, even though he had forsaken me. Now, I don't know if you've ever had any friends forsake you. In other words, leave you hanging, just let you go. But I still remember, and I'll never forget, I shared this once before, that when I was, I was about 10 years old, we were, I was about to get into a fight. Me and three other guys were about to get into a fight with three other guys that were four years older than us. Now, go, going from 10 years old to 14 years old, that's a big jump. 15 years old, that's a big jump. Now, if you're 30 and the guy's 34, eh, that's not that big a jump. But when you're 10 and they're 14, 15, 16, well, that's a big jump right there. So I'll never forget, I was about 10 years old, and there was a friend of mine, there was three of us, we were all the same age, they were bigger than us. And we were about to get into a fight, and we were, but we were just, I was trying to, like, use my words, like, hey, bro, like, you're cool, you're awesome, you know. And the guy, where are you from? What is this? Like, Dude, just chill, bro, just chill. They were bigger than us. They were going to knock us out for sure. But I'll never forget, as we're talking and we're going back and forth, that last thing I remember was I felt a big old brick come at the back of my head. Boom. And I went on the floor, and as I looked on the floor, all I seen was blood gushing. Blood gushing everywhere. And I just hear the other guys yelling, saying, oh, man, let's get out of here. And they took off. The guy, his older, the, the guy was 16. His little brother, who was about nine, eight years old, came up from behind me and threw a brick at my head. And I'm on the floor. But this was the thing. I look up, and everybody was gone, including my two friends. What? Like, 
I'm bleeding to death. Now, what I found out later, you know, forgive my father for what I'm about to tell you. My dad, he was still, God was working on him. Amen. Because he saw, it was in the back of the church. We were there on Royal Avenue. If you're familiar with A Street and Royal Avenue, a little tough little neighborhood over there. And so we, he went. He saw me. Went, I, went, I made my way to the office. I was bleeding. They kept, my dad got me. And instead of taking me to the hospital, what did he do? He goes, get in the car. We're going to find that kid right now. You know, we went driving all around looking for that kid. And I'm over here bleeding. Dad, where's he at? Can you see? I can't see anything. I see spots. Ooh, unicorn, look. And we're driving around. Where's this kid at? Where's that? I mean, my dad was like fuming. It was hot. Now, what we didn't know, we found out later that if I would have fell asleep, I could have went into a coma. I didn't know that. Those of you who have bled, you understand. Now, I wasn't like losing a little bit of blood. I was losing a lot of blood. It, I had a huge, and I still have it, a huge old gash in the back of my head. And so this is the thing. We were driving around. We were looking for the kid. And we're driving around all the, if you know that neighborhood, all over the A Street, Royal Avenue, all throughout over there looking for this kid. Now, these are neighborhood kids, so they're always out and about. But whenever you do dirt, you're in the doors, right? So they're in the door. We're, we're still looking all around. Where could this be? Where go? Now, this was the thing. We're driving. All of a sudden, we look down an alley, and here comes running one of my friends who was there with me. And we look, and I go, hey. He goes, Hey. I was looking for you guys. Are you kidding me? He didn't even go get my dad. He didn't go call the cops. He didn't go. He just took off running. I'm out of here. Demas was the guy when dirt went down, he was gone. I'm out of here. I'm not being around. I'm not getting involved. I'm gone. I'm out of here. I didn't do it. I didn't see it. I'm not involved. Yet Paul still said, I know he ran and he left me when I needed him the most. I know he took off. I know maybe some of you may not like him, but trust me, this guy, he still got the goods. And he can still bat eighth on my team. Listen, for those of you that are here, I don't believe there's any demons here, but there might be some that are out there that they might have left when you needed him the most. They might have took off on you when you needed him the most. Yet nevertheless, here's Paul saying, Demas, he's still a good guy. I can still, but why do I, he can't, we can't use him, man. I was out there bleeding, I was all messed up, and this guy left me. It's okay. He could still be on my team. I could still use this guy. Maybe some of you here today, you might have ran away from God. Maybe you are the Demas. You were the one that when times got tough, you were, I'm out of here. And you've been thinking, man, I, I left when they needed me the most. I rejected them. They ain't going to accept me. I'm here to tell you, if God accepts you, we accept you. If God can use you, we can use you. Listen to me. Everybody here in this church that is sitting here has a position on God's team. Don't ever let the world tell you that you're all messed up. You're no good. You can't do anything. What gifts do you have? Look at you. You're, you, you, should be, you should be at the top. You should be batting first. You should be up there. Doing, look at you're batting seventh. They don't even know who you are. That's okay. 
Look at you. You don't even have the, the nice clothes. You don't have all that stuff. Look at You don't have the identity. It's okay. I know my identity. I know who I am. God's called me. God's going to use me for his honor, for his glory. We've got men that could bat first. We've got women that could bat second. We've got women that could bat third. Men could bat fourth. And all these, they bat fifth. But listen, you need to know this. As long as you're here, God can use you in any position. My father used to have this saying as they come to the piano. My father used to have this saying for Luke. It was called, when under the gun, don't run. When under the gun, you don't run. I believe that Demas, which we don't talk about a whole lot, but Demas, I believe at one time he was under the gun and he ran. But guess what? Paul still said, I can use you. I can use you. Now, if you're saying, well, who's a demon? One of the perfect examples that I could think of of a demon within our church was Brother Greg. He was in the boys' ranch when he was 16, right? He was 16 years old. That was back in 19 something. 95. Stop it. He was in the boys' ranch back then. And he was sharing with me, actually, just the other day, I didn't know this. We were, he was sharing with me his testimony just a little bit about how he was, I think it was Lake Elizabeth. You're over there at the, the park there in Fremont. And he he'd left the home. He left the boys' ranch. Now, he thought Victory Outreach was there in Southern California, and that's it. But here he is, all of a sudden, miles from the ranch. There, it's in San Bernardino, over in that area. And he's like, okay, I'm out of here. 16 years old, I'm going to do my thing. Years later, he's in Lake Elizabeth, and he's there doing his thing. Lo and behold, who shows up? Pastor Stephen Josie. And my mom, who was in the ranch, she was there. Hey, I know you. Uh, you don't know me. You don't know me. No, no, I'm from up here. I don't know anybody. No. I know you. Greg. Demas. Hey, I know you. Now, it took a little time. It took a little while. But now, that Demas is now running our men's home. Maybe at one time... The pressure got too much. I can't deal with this. I can't handle this. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. But we got perfect examples. You heard it here earlier with Brother Gilbert. You see it here right now. The pastors that are here, the ministers that are here, the ones that greet you at the door, the ones that are taking care of your children. These are men and women at one time they wanted to run. I can't do it. I'm not as smart as them. I don't dress like them. I don't look like them. I'm not like everybody else. I'm not normal. Well, listen, I want you to know something. You're in the perfect church for not being normal. You're in the perfect church for not being accepted. You're in the perfect church. Now, the church is not perfect, but you're in the perfect church. That's just for you. And I want to challenge you here today. That you can bat first on God's dream team. You can bat second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, or even ninth. Wherever God can use you. But what you have to do is you have to say, God, I'm open and I'm willing. I'm at my post and I'm sticking here. When other the gun, I'm not going to run. I 
am going to be a thumbtack Christian. I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. I'm sticking right here. I know it's tough. I know it's difficult. But this is where you called me to be. Stand with me here this afternoon.